is playlisting the feature of radio. Music has and continues to be a key feature in many successful formats. How real is the online threat from streaming services and curated playlists? Wendy Ferwey-Backer from Labs FM talks about her thoughts in this space. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Our playlist, the new radio. That's what I'm here to speak about today. The music industry has always been at the forefront of disruption in technology. And in some ways, it seems as if there isn't a corner of the music industry left untouched. Change is inevitable. A year ago at this conference, a guy from one of the major record companies stood up and told this audience that labels don't need radio anymore. He justified this by saying that subscription services are now freely available and that people can listen to whatever they like without having to listen to radios, advertising or DJs. Well, after 10 years in the music industry, I recently left a major label and I can promise you one thing, it's the other way around. Radio doesn't need labels anymore. In fact, they haven't for a while. I'm here to tell you that streaming service playlists will be radio's competition if you don't see streaming services as an opportunity. Streaming services have got all the music available to listeners and that listeners don't need to listen to radio DJs or adverts anymore. They can listen to the, what they want. Well, I can tell you one thing. After leaving a record company, um, after 10 years recently, I can promise you one thing, that Radio no longer needs labels. Actually, they haven't for a while. I'm here to tell you that streaming services playlists will be radio's competition if you don't see the opportunity that's available to you. Radio can use streaming services as part of their larger brand positioning um, and marketing strategy. If I throw around the words user or listener or audience, I can use them fairly liberally, and to me, it might mean one thing. But the problem is that most commercial stations are only incentivized to increase listenership. That needs to change. Over the last 15 years, music consumption has changed dramatically. The music is better, but it's less valuable because it's available everywhere. I'm going to talk about the graphs and charts. Um, I'll publish them online so that you can look at them in more detail. Um, the problem with a lot of the music is that it's free these days. There's more of it. Studies show that we're listening to more music than ever before, but it's harder for artists to break. We now have fewer superstars and more artists. And although radio remains popular, there's more competition for radio than ever before. I'm sure you guys know about Pandora and satellite radio. There's nothing stopping South Africans from tuning into those stations. So artists finally have access to their fans, and consumers finally have direct access to all the music that they could ever want. Spotify, in fact, counts more than 30 million tracks, and those tracks are available on this device that I'm holding in my hand at any time of day, anywhere that I am. Music discovery is what's what has evolved. And you guys know, I mean, it's no longer spread through silos, record companies that service music to radio, or radio stations that um, have exclusives and play, first-time players on radio. Um, radio no longer determines which songs make it. 
You guys know that, and many of you have adapted to what the station plays. But I don't think that that's enough. The opportunity lies in curation and discovery of new music, something that's already part of an everyday task for radio stations. The thing is, though, that there's so much new music, and streaming services address that problem in different ways. Spotify acquired the Echo Nest to assist it make decisions with um, using data uh, to drive music discovery through personalization. They have something called the Discover Weekly Playlist, which is a personalized playlist to individual users, which is aimed squarely at promoting new tracks and new artists. Apple's Beats One Radio, on the other hand, takes a very different approach um, and plays directly in radio's field um, by creating live, on-air-like shows. And I'm sure if any of you have ever listened to Beats One, you'll have noticed that they create very engaging content that actually has more in common with traditional on-air radio than podcasts. But what about South African radio? Well, personally, I think it's complicated. I think that to grow, you have to break new music, even if you can't play it on air. Before Cloudy dropped the 90% uh, the content bomb, 5FM's role as a national youth station was to break new music. So the impact that that mandate, that the change in the mandate had on them, I mean, it's been substantial, and everybody has their opinion on, on that. But I think that the wider opportunity is being missed. What happened when our national youth station could no longer break tracks was that um, record companies and radio pluggers went to our top regional stations and looked to them to start adding new tracks. But of course, they can't do that because that's not their mandate. So that leaves one big, wide open gap. Where are people discovering new music? Is it driving them to streaming services? I certainly think so. It's one of the issues that I have with Top 40 Radio in a world of streaming music, is that they don't really have anything new to offer listeners or anything different. I mean, but imagine if those stations that were playing Top 40 bolstered playlists online on streaming services like Apple Music and Deezer with tracks that they couldn't play on air. Suddenly, you'd be creating an environment where listeners feel part of the radio station by listening to music that's not being played on air, but it still falls under the radio's brand and promotes music discovery at the same time. The station can align itself again with being a tastemaker. The advantage in that is being able to create, curate a much wider pool of music than what you're able to play on air. But sometimes I think that the way that radio treats music in a world with streaming is irrelevant. In years past, the life of a track was determined by radio. But these days, a song might burn before it's even added at radio because it's been on Apple Music for the past two months or it's been on the iTunes charts. People download it and they listen to it themselves. I think that there's just too much pressure on a human being to make those right decisions every single time. And that's why I want 
programmers to start using data. We needn't be offended or, or um, put into a corner by data. Data can help us make good judgments. It's an incredible format, but you guys already know that. You're in this room. Um, you know that music, that radio, apart from the live music scene, is the only pervasive, real-time, experiential format that is social, embraces new, and invites every listener to be part of a tribe. It's exactly the thing that streaming services lack. Streaming services don't have a, a personal and intimate relationship with their listeners, which is why they push so much money into curation of personalized content. And in fact, Jacaranda Day, um, Joburg Live Loud, I don't know if you guys know, but last week Spotify announced that they were going to go into partnership with Live Nation <clears throat> and um, put on six concerts based on their very popular Rap Caviar playlist. You can see that there are seven million followers on this playlist. But using live music as a touch point for your audience, it isn't anything new. I mean, um, Apple Music Festival started in 2007 under the, the name of iTunes Music Festival. Streaming services are looking for touch points in a physical market. And I believe that radio should be looking for touch points in a digital market. Streaming services emphasize the personalized playlist such as Discover Weekly because the data gets as close to an intimate environment as they can get. Data is their strength. Um, even though the studies show that users switch between playlists frequently, that doesn't matter because they're still within the environment and engagement is high. Users are shown to do that as often as they flick past radio stations on an FM stream. Of course, that, though, means leaving the radio station for a different station. After 11 years, Spotify is not that new anymore, though. Word on the street is that it's launching in South Africa this year, and they've already had to address their own payola moment. Just like radio plugging, the major labels have got their own playlist curation companies. Dexter belongs to Universal, Filter belongs to Sony, and Topsify belongs to Warner. Now, what the labels do is they glean insight into how tracks perform from streaming services. And based on that performance, they alter their marketing strategies for artists and tracks worldwide. I believe that there's no reason why individual stations, or indeed Cajiso Media, or even Prime Media, shouldn't have their own mood or genre playlists to promote their brand and research tracks before they maybe get added on air or to create different playlists. Users, listeners, whatever you want to call them, they don't just want to hear from one label or one artist. They want to hear about everything that's available. They want to know what's on offer. And what radio has is a listener's trust. People that listen to radio stations trust those radio stations' judgment. Now, I know that some stations build playlists 
based on their music strategy or a chart. <clears throat> Excuse me. But sometimes I ask myself, if you are publishing your chart exactly as it is on a streaming playlist, then what incentive is there for the listener to tune in? I don't really believe that there is much incentive. So that's why I would like to promote different playlists, playlists that aren't available on air. There are already so many playlists exi that exist within streaming services, the, the environment, that have got the top hits. Top 40 Radio is entirely capable of playing those top hits and promoting different songs on an online environment. For me, the takeaway for radio is that you have to be a little bit unique in streaming. And there are so many ways to do that. That's exactly where Labs FM helps, or can help. We work with music intelligence, which is basically to say that we look at a lot of music data and we ask it some interesting questions. A bit like being your outsourced music data team. We're firm believers in the fact that radio can be much better. We're not pointing fingers at radio, but we think that the data can certainly help make humans make the right decisions. We already have music recommendation as a service where we can suggest tracks to be added on radio or we can suggest tracks that are in danger of burning. But to take that further, we're able to look at niche genres and identify tracks that are coming up so, as, so that a radio station may seem to be a tastemaker and we can also build and manage those playlists. But of course, DJs and presenters can do the same thing. What's, what's great is that if you have playlists that a radio station builds, it adds to your social media strategy. Because all of a sudden, you have a brand new category of content that you're able to post. These are the kinds of activities that'll make sure that your music strategy can compete with streaming playlisting, as well as serve as extensions to the station brand or the media brand. I think, oh right, um, the slide is a little bit cut off on, on that side, but it's interesting to note that while Spotify publicly displays the, oh wait, there's a button for that, publicly displays the follower count, um, Apple Music does not. But BBC One, with their over 400,000 followers, um, can't call those numbers listeners. That's not the end of the world, though, because you've got to ask yourself, if that Spotify user that follows that playlist and listens to that playlist was asked in a survey, have you listened to BBC Radio One over the past seven days? What do you think they'd answer? I think that perhaps the greatest threat to radio at the moment is the way that listeners are counted. Because if that Spotify user answers yes, or if that Spotify user attended the BBC One big weekend, then I would definitely call them part of BBC One's audience. I keep making the case for radio playlists because I believe that radio can gain valuable insight into how the tracks are performing and cut out a bit of the, the noise, the hype, in order to grow their station and to, to gain an, regain an identity. But also to provide another brand touchpoint in a streaming environment which is growing. 
Radio can also be made a lot better by looking at this data and grow tribes. There are lots of people who listen to streaming radio who perhaps haven't listened to a radio station in a, in a while. So just to wrap up, I think that there's something wrong with radio, but I don't think that it's necessarily radio itself. It feels like there's more noise, and radio needs to start competing in different spaces. <clears throat> I want radio programmers and music compilers to start using data and streaming playlists to inform their decisions, to make more adventurous decisions, to take more risks. Because stations have got such a wealth of knowledge um, and listener trust. Trust is very, very hard to build up. It's something that radio stations have and can leverage. To management, I would say that other mediums such as podcasts and playlists and events need to be prioritized because if there's no incentive to do that outside of traditional radio and the creation of content for traditional radio, I think then radio might be in trouble. Thank you. All right, thank you, Wendy. Um, are there any questions for Wendy? Here we go. All right, I'm going to... Hi. Uh, Robin Pryor from RCS, which is a, a, a software company for broadcasters. Uh, when you talk about a playlist, you're talking about a stream that uh, is, is um, managed in some way by the listener. They can skip songs, they can yes. repeat songs and so on. Okay. Um, one of the problems with comparing playlists to radio uh, is the issue of repetition. Yes. Uh, you have no way of counting how often a listener uh, on radio has heard the same song. And therefore, you refer to it burning on a playlist, it may not even have become familiar yet for the radio station's listeners. So I, I, would, I would question whether that's a valid comparison. If it burns on a playlist, it's going to burn on the radio? No, not so. Can't be. Um, and the problem with, with, with uh, a radio station is that the programmers, we always think that it's burnt way before it has. Mm. It probably hasn't yet become familiar. Mm. Now, if you can work out how to measure that one, that's a good, that's a good trick. Well, just to comment on that, I think that certainly used to be the case. Um, um, most notably when singles were being serviced to radio and the timeline um, was able to be controlled. Radio used to have the luxury of having anything from a two to six week window before a track became available to purchase. Sometime in the last five years, um, depending on when it came to South Africa, record companies changed their strategy. And there was a direct-to-market strategy, which is to say that at the time that a song goes to radio, it's also available for purchase or to stream everywhere. 
that changed the situation drastically because people are able to download and purchase songs and indeed in that view one can look at a chart such as the iTunes chart or, or, any, or any purchase singles chart, um, a streaming chart um, um, which the UK fortunately has, unfortunately we don't in South Africa, um, to see what the, the, the level of popularity of a song in a country is. I think that if we still had that window, I would certainly agree with you that a song, that there isn't a chance of a song being burned before it's played on air. But these days, I feel like the pressure on radio programmers to add a song is much more because a song can shoot up into the top charts without it even being a single, which is why we see, for example, the new Ed Sheeran rule that's come into the UK charts recently, where, where there are nine songs that chart in the top 20, or 19 songs that chart in the top 40 from one single album. And now only three songs will be eligible. Does, it, does that answer your question? Yes, sure. Um, a station like uh, Yes, well known for burning tracks quickly. Yes. Absolutely, and I agree with you. I agree with you. Although YFM, I must say, they are um, the exception rather than the rule. And, and YFM certainly are a fantastic example of a station that jumps onto a track very quickly. They also have a very large playlist. Um, but yeah, YFM as a radio station, has a very definite identity. And when you're flicking through radio stations, there's no chance that I'm going to mistake any other station for YFM. I certainly agree with you there. I wish more, more stations would take as many chances and, and risks as YFM does. Although, I completely understand why many stations aren't able to do that. All right. Hello, my name is Steve Martin from BBC. Hey. Just for a bit of market context, yes. and a little selfishly because I'm an outsider, uh, what is the user base of the uh, main streaming services in South Africa? How many uh, users do they have and which are the most popular? Um, Apple Music is definitely the most popular. Um, in fact, I think that the static region for Apple Music is, uh, in, in, is Apple's largest growing, fastest growing region in the world. Uh, that's mostly because Spotify hasn't launched yet. Many of the streaming services, even services like Seven Digital, haven't focused on um, South Africa and the African region, whereas Apple Music literally flipped a switch and was available everywhere. Um, going north of South Africa, and certainly Nigeria, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, mobile devices are widely used, the, the most widely used handsets, and as such, the telcos are still very much in control um, of the distribution of, of tracks, either via full track or um, as ringtones. Uh, but if we're speaking streaming, then definitely Apple Music. Do you have a, a number? Is that oh, right. Um, I, the, the, the base is about two million um, the, uh, of, uh, I suppose, I can't remember what LSM is in your, in your terms, but if you're looking for um, a, a household disposable income that is able to afford a monthly subscription service, 
of um, 59 Rand 90, which is what it costs, then you're looking at an LSM 7 to 10, um, and that base is about 2.5 to 3 million. Um, I think, I believe that Q, Q4 of last year, Apple was standing at 400,000. Sure. Any other questions? My name is Chilu Lemba. Hey. Um, just two questions. Firstly, I'm not sure if I heard you right. Did, did you say Spotify is coming uh, into South Africa at some point? Word on the street. Oh, okay, cool. And then the other one I'm curious about, uh, there used to be a, a streaming service called Simfy. Yes. Um, which uh, had a big marketing uh, plug when, when they launched, but uh, we, we don't hear it anymore. They were the first, anymore. yes. And then um, there was another one called Cleek, I think. Yes, um, that's correct. Just curious if you, if you know anything about those. Sure, things. absolutely. Okay, so... Um, you know, I'm hard-pressed to think of the actual date, but Simfy was definitely the first streaming service to launch in South Africa. Um, they launched with a decent catalogue. They had deals with all of the majors. Um, they were basically a white-label version of a German streaming service, I think also named Simfy, that was run and operated by Exact Mobile in South Africa. Um, I think that possibly why Simfy didn't take off larger than, than we all would have liked um, is possibly because after the first round of licensing talks dried up, um, there are obviously huge costs involved with licensing music, uh, especially if it isn't part of a worldwide deal such as Apple Music and, and Spotify have globally. Um, but it was such a great service in the sense that it got people uh, in South Africa into streaming services at the time when iTunes, before iTunes was even available in South Africa, and a time when iTunes was available in the US for many years already, and uh, Spotify had also been available in Europe for many years. Um, on to your second question, which is the clique. Yes, the, the, clique, is a, uh, the clique is still around. Um, I believe that it is also being sold as a white label service. Uh, for streaming music. It was um, developed by Universal Music for, specifically for Samsung and was a native app on, uh, on one of the Samsung phones. You'll have to forgive me, I can't exactly remember which one. Um, I think that the, there, was a, there was a relationship between the, two between the two companies to promote artist content on the app, and the app, as I said, the app was native. And, um, but as you well know, Samsung, a global corporation, also has their own other strategic um, um, objectives and other apps coming to the market, other apps are available uh, on download platforms and you, know, you, can't, you can't tell people where to go and get music. I'm just wondering if you have any numbers on, on a pure stream, a playlist you refer to it, versus something that's curated and actually has a presenter in it. Uh, because I'm seeing a lot more of that kind of streaming happening, where there's actually a live presenter, well, a voice oh. track presenter in there. Right. And uh, some of the numbers I've, I've seen suggest that that's far more popular than a pure uh, stream of music only. I haven't, I haven't seen... Oh, right, yeah. Well, 
what, what you're mentioning there is, is like BBC Radio 1, uh, Alton John was speaking about it earlier. Um, I suppose that, you know, Radio 1 technically is a streaming playlist. They publish their playlists, although it's a very radio-like environment. I don't have listenership figures of that, unfortunately, but that's Apple. I mean, Apple hold their numbers very close to their chest, as you can see, well, from one of the previous slides. Um, I don't have figures on um, the number of, of streams on a playlist either, but Spotify does publish the numbers of followers of a playlist. Uh, and the Discover Weekly goes to each and every one of their users. Um, one, of the one of the most popular, I think it's, it's, something, it's something ridiculous, like, like 15 million people follow their coffee shop playlist which is made up of chill and acoustic tracks. and um, It's one of their most popular playlists worldwide. Um, so there certainly are opportunities for, for brands to create their own playlists and to develop an identity of their playlist. I think that's the, that's the golden egg, is if you can create a playlist that has an identity. Sure, you can't count the skips and if somebody goes back and, and plays a track twice, but then I could argue that there isn't really a reason for that listener to be on your playlist and listen to that track twice. Listening to a playlist on a streaming service is a lot more like a lean-back experience with radio, which is to say you press play once and you leave it to play in the background, and generally you like the sound of the playlist. Um, if you're playing your own music, your own owned music on your own hi-fi system, or um, if you are actively engaging in listening and playing your own music on a streaming service and choosing that, that's much more of a, um, a forward-leaning experience where you're actively engaged in what you're listening to now until the end of the track. And I think that certainly the lean-back experience of playlists has a lot in common with traditional radio. No, you actually click um, on the... Uh, let me quickly show you. So on the, on the actual playlist... Oh, other way. On the actual playlist, you would click follow over there. And then what that would do is similar to a, uh, your own iTunes library or, or whatever software you use to organize your music digitally, the playlist would show up on your column on the left-hand side as if it is yours. From there on, it's up to you to go and to click on that playlist. But basically what following a playlist like that does is it populates your library with that playlist track or that playlist updated tracks. So every time I open iTunes or my Spotify, I'm going to see there if I'm a BBC One or Radio One playlist BBC follower, I'm going to see that playlist pop up on my left-hand side. So every time I open my app, that's a set of eyeballs seeing that brand, whether I play it or not. Spotify definitely do. They aren't publishing those numbers yet. Okay. Thank you very much, Mindy. Cool. Thank you very much.